Welcome. You are listening to Intentional Conversations from Nika White Consulting, an encore presentation of our weekly podcast where we intersect diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. Let the conversation begin. Now, it does me great pleasure to officially introduce today's guest co-host. And y'all, I have to tell you, I am super excited because this is not just any guest co-host. A lot of times when we invite people, I don't have a, a great level of familiarity with them, um, but during the, the process of getting prepared for the show, we certainly get acquainted. That is not today's situation. This is a friend of mine, and we have been connected now for some time, and I am so excited to be able to share her with each of you. And I say share because, yes, I am going to look forward to learning from her the same way that I'm hoping you all are going to be able to learn from her. But let me do the official and proper introduction. You all know that I love to do this because it's important. We need to know the accolades, credentials that people show up to the conversation with. And so today will be no different. Right. Two, Bicene is the CEO of Bicene Consulting, Inc., a globally recognized full-service DEI and leadership consulting firm that has worked with hundreds of world-renowned organizations since its launch in 2010. Ritu is an award-winning speaker, author, consultant, and internationally recognized expert in inclusion, leadership, belonging, and empowerment. She has presented to hundreds of thousands of people globally and has personally coached over a thousand people. Ritu's book, the bestseller, We've Got This, was released in 2023, June specifically, and her best-selling book, The Authenticity Principle, was released in 2017. Ritu lives in Toronto, Canada. When she is not working, you'll find her traveling around the world to eat, swim, hike, dance, and just chill. I think I want her life. Okay, so do me a favor right now and please just find those emojis, find those accolades, whatever it is. Let her know how much we appreciate her being here with us. I'm going to stop sharing my screen and add my friend to the spotlight. And I am just so super stoked. And so welcome, welcome, welcome. Now, before I turn it over to you and give you a chance to greet this audience in your own way, we often like to start with asking our guest co-host to please indulge us by maybe sharing something about yourself that we did not hear from reading your bio, hearing your bio, right? Um, and maybe we would not know from looking at your LinkedIn profile. And so... What would you like to share? Welcome, my friend. I'm so glad you're here. Oh, it's so good to see you. Thank you so much. You know, I'm going to pick something fun about myself and, and something less serious. Although it does connect to my to, to the work that I do and who I am. I'm going to choose one something you wouldn't know from like hearing my bio and, and following me on LinkedIn. Although you would know if you followed me on Instagram is that I love to eat. I am a massive foodie. It is one of my favorite things in the world to do. But the reason why I think this is important in the context of our conversation today is that I literally will choose places to visit in the world because I want to immerse myself in the culture of that community and eat food. And I have found that breaking bread with people oh. is probably one of the most intimate, beautiful, and meaningful ways to connect with people across differences because food is generally not polarizing. I mean, unless you're like, you know, in West Africa and you're arguing about jollof rice or like in India, like <laughs> the better aloo parantha. Like I get, I, yes, but it's in good fun. And so I have found that eating as a way to connect with people has been really beautiful. And I also think 
that one of the most beautiful things that we can do in connecting with people that is rooted deeply in humanity is making meals for others and serving people food we have made. Because what can be more beautiful than us pouring love and passion and intention into a meal and serving it to others? Like, I think it's such a beautiful transference of love. I love that. That is beautiful. And, you know, and I do think that there's something very universal that unites us around um, some type of dinner table where we are sharing stories and we are experiencing different foods that maybe we would not have, you know, prepared for ourselves. And so I love that. That is absolutely beautiful. And um, addressing your your travels, you know, again, if you follow um, Rutu, you know that she is an avid traveler as well. A lot of times your, your, your work takes you there, but then sometimes you really just relish the moment to just live and, and, and explore all of the moments of joy um, that comes your way. And that is travel. And so of late, you have been to some pretty remarkable places. Um, Maldives is definitely on my bucket list. And so I'm a little jealous of that. Can't wait to hear more about it. But listen, that's that's beautiful. And then you also returned to your home country as well. India. Um, and so, yes. Uh, I hadn't been in India in like years. So pre-COVID, I hadn't been in India in six years. And it was so beautiful to go back. And I often think about my ancestors and I think about the lineage from which I come and, and I think about the blood that runs through my veins. And, you know, as someone who has deeply struggled in her life's journey to experience belonging, there's a feeling that I get when I'm in India that I don't have anywhere else in the world. And you know, it's 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 still interesting for me because when I'm there, I'm I know I'm like, I'm not, I don't live here. I did not grow up here. I was not born here. I'm so Canadian in many ways, because I am Canadian <laughs> you from Toronto, Canada. And so, and so that is a reality, but at the same time, there's like a way in which I exhale because yes. I literally feel in community. Like if I didn't open my mouth. I like, I literally blend in and it's, it's a beautiful feeling. Yeah. I can tell how special that trip was for you just by following your social media. I mean, I could feel your joy. I could feel that you are so at home and just so at ease. I could feel your pride. Yeah. <laughs> and I just thought that was beautiful to, to witness, you know, it's not, there's not many ways in which we really can get, um, you know, proximate to someone's experience, but the way in which you kind of shared your story through your social media sharing was, was beautifully done. And so thank you. Thank you so much for that. Now, but I do want to talk about your book because your book is amazing. I have a copy of your book and I have just loved seeing you um, promote your book and how people have been responding to your book. And the new book that I'm talking about, again, the title is We've Got This. And um, in your work, and you're holding it up, yes, we've got this, all about belonging, but you talk extensively about the concept of belonging in your book and in a lot of your talks. And so I would love for you to bring us in a little bit deeper into your story and your journey that caused you to be drawn to teaching about belonging. So it's a great place to start. And thank you so much, Nika, for, for uh, drawing me right to the to that point. And also just checking quickly, audio good? Audio is great. Thank Excellent. you. So as I mentioned uh, just a moment ago, uh, my cultural roots were from India. I am a daughter of Indian immigrant parents. My parents immigrated to India, from India to, to Canada now over 50 years ago. 
And I have a quintessential story of being a daughter of immigrants. We're at a front row seat to watching my parents struggle as many immigrants do when they come to a country where they don't look like or behave like people who are in the majority and certainly not like 50 years ago, my heavens. And not only are we from India, we're North Indian, which makes us Punjabi by culture, and we are sick by faith. And so my faith, faith is called Sikhism or Sikhi. Uh, my father wears a turban and a beard. And in fact, if you follow me on Instagram, you'll know, uh, even, even just today, I put up a video of him. Uh, his videos go viral, mind you not. Papa Basin with his Love turban. Him. Isn't he cute? He's so cute. He's yeah. so cute. He's so cute, except when he's not cute, as I, is what I always say. So uh, I had a front row seat to watching my parents struggle financially, socially, as it relates to exclusion in many ways. But then I also have my own experiences. I am a survivor of relentless bullying. It was racist bullying in particular that did intersect with gender identity, like as a smart young girl and class. I, I didn't, we didn't, we weren't, we didn't have a lot of class privilege growing up. And, and from a young age, I internalized the message that I was broken, that something was wrong with me. And I took this spirit around of don't be you, don't be different into my adulthood and into the work world. When I first uh, became a lawyer, I entered the legal profession. I worked in the skyscrapers in, in Toronto for many years, for 10 years in the legal profession. And there I found in the work world, the messages around don't be different, uh, be the same were never as direct and overt as when I was being bullied, but they were omnipresent. Long story short, short uh, by the time I hit my mid-30s, I was professionally really successful. But if you had asked me, Ritu, Ritu, are you happy? I would have said to you, no, I'm not. I feel spiritually vacant. I feel lost. And frankly, from constantly shifting codes or what I call performing, like acting out who I am, as opposed wow. to being who I am, I don't know who I am anymore. And it led to a transformative journey, which has pushed me to cross the chasm over to living a life that is rooted deeply in authenticity and belonging. And I know how hard it has been for me to finally claim and create belonging for myself, but I also know how beautiful it feels. And this is what I want for everyone else. Oh, that is it's so beautiful to hear you socialize around that. And, and you make it sound so easy, so easy, so easy. <laughs> and we know that it's not. No. Um, so I, so I always like to go to the practicality of these conversations. And so first let's back up a second. Um, in your perspective, can you share with us what encapsulates the essence of belongings? I think there's multiple ways in which maybe the audience is showing up to this conversation, how maybe they define that, but belonging specifically within a community or an organization. Yeah. So I love this question as well, Nika. Because for me, belonging, I have, I've thought long and hard about know you have. what belonging is about. And I'm going to give you my definition of it. And everyone, please know that I decided to take a very multidisciplinary approach in coming up with my definition. And you'll, and I'll break down why in a moment. So I define belonging as being the profound feeling that we hold inside of ourselves of being honored and accepted for who we are first and foremost by our own selves mm. must belong to our own self. And this is what 
empowers us to claim belonging with others. Mm. And so belonging is about being who we are. Belonging is about authenticity. And in fact, one of my favorite things to say in an organizational context is that belonging is the outcome of cultivating authenticity. So when we create cultures, workplace cultures where people can be who they are yeah. or in, yeah. in interactions, in interpersonal interactions, when we create dynamics where people can be who they are, this is where we unlock belonging. Now, the one word that I want to go back to really quickly uh, is I said that belonging is a feeling. So yes, belonging is a systemic experience that we entrench in organizational cultures by creating environments where we cultivate authenticity and, and make it psychologically safe for people to be who they are. So it is a systemic experience. But let's go back. Belonging is a feeling. As human beings, Anika, you know this, we're animals. And as animals, animals who, that engage in bias, but animals that <laughs> also yes. feel belonging. Our, our nervous systems all day long are clocking for, in this moment, in this team meeting, or in this conversation with my leader, or with my friend, colleague, with my spouse, with my child, whoever, can I, do I feel safe? Can I be me? Can I, do I feel good? And even when I feel uncomfortable to be vulnerable, I feel insecure. I do it anyways, because I realize, and I believe that I'm safe in your presence. And so mm -hmm. after today, for all of you joining, I want you to start thinking about in which environments, which team dynamics, which interpersonal uh, relationships, do you feel a sense of belonging? What is that person doing? How can you get more of it? And then the inverse is also true. When we're in interactions with people around whom we feel really activated, what is it that they're doing? How can we minimize exposure to this type of experience? And also, how can we be more resilient, become more resilient so that in these moments where it feels like, wow, I don't feel safe around you, but I can still be centered and grounded, rooted in this moment, and then extricate myself from the situation. Mm hmm. That's so good. I love the idea of belonging as being, you know, one of the things that I often talk about as well when I am addressing audiences on this topic is that I don't care who you are, what your demographics are, what your background, what your experience is. It is hard for any person to show up at their best in any environment if they are always questioning whether or not they belong. Do I belong here? Am I seen? Am I valued? Am I heard? Am I safe? Does my opinion matter? Do I have full opportunity for success? And if people are questioning those things, then they are not showing up at their best. And as a society, we do operate in spaces and places where we rely on our peers, our colleagues, our leaders to show up at their best so that we can be at our best. But I love that what you're bringing to the conversation is the importance of it starts at the personal level. Yes. We have to first belong to ourselves. And I think that's so beautiful because if that confidence is within us, then to your point, it certainly helps us to be able to expect that level of belonging and to help people to understand how to foster a sense of belonging for ourselves when we are in their presence, right? Yeah, you got and it. I just you, think that's so beautiful. It. Yeah, you, it's you so beautiful. You've nailed it. Thank you so much. There's a core concept um, in my book uh, that I want to talk about. I call it core wisdom. Core mm -hmm. wisdom is the inner knowing that we hold that enables us to understand, wow, in this moment, 
first of all, what am I feeling inside of me? Oh my goodness. And this, I'm going into this meeting or I'm sitting in the meeting and I'm feeling heaviness in my chest and I feel really anxious because my stomach is swirling. And now I'm starting to sweat. My cheeks are hot. And, and, and then I can start to hear the negative narratives looping in my head. So no one likes me and I'm not good enough or the inverse. We're in a conversation and we like, like this moment right now with you where I feel in flow and it just feels really good and it feels at ease and I feel seen and, and I know that I'm okay because in my mind, actually, I, I, I'm so present. I'm like literally with you, but my nervous system feels really good. Like I'm, I feel regulated and I'm breathing and I feel great. It's our core wisdom, wisdom that enables us to be constantly clocking what's happening in my mind, what's happening in my body. Now, this is a really important point. When I was younger and I was struggling to experience belonging, whether that was in the workplace culture, whether that was with my leader, whether that was with my friends and family, I constantly felt activated and uh, and dysregulated. So my, I was constantly feeling anxiousness in my chest and my stomach. And, and as I have developed and grown my core wisdom and I have learned to settle my body so yes. that I am more still and more at ease, even when I am in situations where I can tell that I'm being judged or I'm like, huh, I'm being me and I'm not receiving the reception I normally do. Like I'm being quirky Ritu and I'm used to being quirky Ritu and everyone laughs at quirky Ritu. But here I am in this meeting with these people I don't really know. It's a new client meeting or a new team meeting. And I'm like, I'm doing me. And everyone's just kind of looking at me like this, like kind of like, what is wrong with her? She is extra. In that moment, I can hear in the head of my head, oh, they don't like me. They don't like me. Uh, And then in my body, I can feel the activation start. But when we have a more uh, developed sense of our core wisdom and we have a more settled system, even in those moments where it's like, you don't like quirky Ritu, or I don't think you're liking quirky Ritu, here's what Ritu says. It's okay. I'm going to keep doing me and I'm going to keep my deep breathing up in this meeting and I'm going to manage the noise in my head. My only job right now is to be the best me whatsoever. And if they don't like me, that's on them. And, and Ritu Basin, stand in your power. You do you, you are amazing. And so, so what am I saying here? I think it's really important to understand that when we do our personal work, our personal healing work, our growth work, even though the system around us is entrenched in inequities and it's designed against us, like literally actually designed to hate on us, as we know the systems are, we still belong to ourselves. And there is no greater feeling, I can tell you, as someone who has personally for decades struggled to belong than belonging to myself. There is no greater feeling than that. So I hope that message resonates with everyone. No, absolutely it does. Absolutely it does. Um, Deeply with me, and I'm sure with others in this audience as well. One of the things that I love about this this whole belonging focus and this conversation and how it's been the center of, of your messaging platform and many others as well is that it is something that I believe is is palatable and is accessible to everyone. 
regardless of your demographics and your background. And um, and this is more of an observation because I don't say that to, um, to send the message that we need to minimize some of the other conversations about anti-Blackness, about, you know, all the other things. But I do believe that it helps us to really focus on the humanity aspect of, of just being and, and, and the need. I mean, let's, let's face it, to feel accepted and valued, that is a need that we have, everybody, regardless of who you are and your, your different intersecting identities. And so um, I'm finding that a lot of people, particularly a lot of organizations, especially right now in this highly politicized climate of this work, they are really leaning in to the belonging phenomenon. And so I'm sure you're seeing that as well. Are you seeing that, Ritu? hundred percent. Because I, you are so so um, spot on when you say, essentially, everyone longs to belong. Everyone yes. longs to belong. Like literally, Nika, as human beings, we are wired to crave, to long for belonging. And so, essentially, as human beings, like our bodies will register social rejection and isolation the same way we register physical pain in the body or how about yeah. this uh, earlier last year uh, about a year ago uh, research studies came out that that pointed to how the same region of the brain that's triggered when we are hungry is activated when we are lonely same region mm. of the brain mm. and, and and this isn't just for some people it's every single one of us yeah. we as human beings we are one of the most social if not the most social mammal out there and we crave acceptance love affirmation amongst community amongst our tribes amongst mm -hmm. we need to be in fellowship and so it doesn't matter what cultural community you're from or identities you possess, everyone needs this, which is why, which is why in this highly politicized moment, I think remembering that everyone longs to belong is critical. Secondly, no one's need to belong trumps anyone else's need to belong. We This Absolutely. is not about the oppression Olympics. This is about honoring <laughs> uh, uh, the humanity of belonging. And then the last thing I'll mention that I think is really um, important as well is that it underscores why empathy is so important. Yes. And so, so what do I mean by that? If, if everyone longs to belong, then everyone feels pain and hurt when they do not belong. And we may not agree with what someone is saying or their opinions that they hold or their positions. However, we can still empathize with mm -hmm. their desire to be seen, to be heard, to be respected, to be honored, to be felt. And so I think that if in this moment, if we can really anchor deeply to the concept of belonging, it will help to unlock empathy. And, and you know, the last thing I'll mention is when I wrote, we've got this, I wrote it deliberately it, to be a guidebook for people who want to learn how to claim more belonging in their life based on my own experiences of struggle. But I also wrote it in such a way that I wanted it to unlock empathy because what I have found over the last few years in particular in teaching allyship to organizations and to leaders is that we can tell people you need to be more of an ally and you should be more empathetic and you should be more compassionate and you should speak less and listen more and whatever, all the, all the, all the things that we say, all the things, <laughs> all the things, all the things, but it's another thing entirely 
to surrender into someone's story or their experience and understand, wow, yeah. I see now why you, you feel hurt. And I see why you hold pain. Yeah. And, you know, your pain is different than my pain. My, your pain is no more important or less important than mine. You have pain. Let me honor your pain and let me show you empathy. And also let me do something to ease your pain. That's what empathy and humanity is about. And that is what belonging is about, which is why we need more belonging, more dialogue around belonging, dialogue around, around empathy right now than we ever have in many respects. Yeah, that is so good with you. And I'm actually sitting with it because it is resonating deeply. And I just think there's value in, in processing what you just shared. Um, I have chills to on my arms. And the reason yeah. why is you use the word surrender and um, that is actually one of my words for this year. And oh. so the fact that it found its way into this conversation in this moment around this topic, it really gave me pause. And, and I think that um, there's something to be said for each of us surrendering by quieting our ego and not allowing what we feel like we want to do and say in the moment to get the best of us because we miss those opportunities to really feel with someone else. And that is what empathy is all about. You know, Brene, Brene Brown has obviously, you know, told us that empathy is feeling with people. And while we may not have had um, an exact experience that they've had that's causing them that pain and that suffering, we can think about times that we have experienced pain and suffering and how yeah. that was really, um, you know, impactful to us and how we would want someone to show up for us in that moment. And then let those thoughts, those feelings, those reflections cause us to show up in that same manner for someone else. And yeah. so, yeah. Can I, That's can beautiful. I say something? Thank you. Absolutely, you can. Yeah. <laughs> so processing. So yes, please. So good. Well, 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 one thing, really quickly, as you know, there are no coincidences in the universe, and so you're so right. No. Everything unfolds as it should, and so we are meant to be here. We are meant to exchange energy with each other and collectively for all of you who are joining us. And so, thank you. This is what grace looks like, and I'm, I th say thank you to the highest every day that that I get to be part of fellowship and in community yes. on this. So thank you to you and to everyone joining. I also just, I wanted, I want to talk about trauma for a moment in the context mm. of, of the, bringing up the word surrender. And so, mm. so just by way of background, for those of you who are joining, who, who don't know this about me. So I used to be a lawyer and then I did HR and then I was like, I'm going to start my own thing. And so I started my own leadership DEI consulting firm now uh, 14 years ago and I do a lot of leadership work, DI work, but I've also been on a personal journey of healing to experience greater belonging. And as I've been doing um, a lot of work across workplaces, and I realized that not only am I, do I hold all kinds of trauma in my body tied back to really horrible, difficult things that have happened to me and that I've inherited genetically and that have been passed along to me intergenerationally, <laughs> But I started to see patterns of this in the workplace. And so I did a deep dive into studying trauma and I've almost completed my trauma um, professional certification. And, and here's something else I've realized in the context of the word surrender. When I was younger, and actually even maybe like five years ago or a few years ago, 
And even now, when I feel activated and rattled, like I feel deeply insecure because I feel like I'm being judged. I haven't slept well. I'm not mm. um, self-regulating as well. I'm not as mindful and intentional in, mm. in my body. I'm not, I, I'm not leveraging my core wisdom. When we feel insecure, it's in these moments that we cling to our position. We cling to our needs over others' needs. We, we play the oppression Olympics. And mm -hmm. so we, we talk more as opposed to mm -hmm. listening. We talk about ourselves more. We don't mm -hmm. even realize that we're doing this. It's so unconscious. And basically it ties back to, to wiring often related to our childhood trauma around, I'm important, I matter, I belong, I need to be seen, I need to be seen, I need to be seen. And this is what causes us to over speak in meetings and suck the air out of the room and talk over people and be more arrogant. And it's not because we're evil human beings, but it's because of our unhealed woundedness that we take space. Yeah. And when we start to surrender into doing more of our healing work individually, not only do we become better leaders and better human beings, we start to realize actually I can just surrender into the silence and listen more. Mm. And actually, <laughs> even though I also experience oppression, my needs in this moment are not as important as listening and empathizing and honoring the woundedness of this other person right now. Mm. And so I will be in silence and I will hold space for you and, 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 and. And so surrender goes hand in hand with our healing work around woundedness tied back to trauma. And that's also a pretty heavy thing to just drop in there. But there you go, everyone. There you go. It is heavy, but it's really good. And I love that you went back to that because I don't know if I've ever heard someone articulate the connection points between this whole notion of surrendering and, and as a way of also how in which we can navigate the, the trauma that we're holding and that we're experiencing. Um, and, and, and I do think that we find ourselves, to your point, just doing something, even if it's just speaking, talking, moving, whatever it is, doing something. And there's so much value in just sitting still and being, yeah. right? Yeah. Being, because we belong to ourselves, as you've told us today several times. And that in and of itself, I think, can really help, at least in that moment, provide some comfort for that trauma that's trying to take over our whole being, right? Yeah. This is, um, this is so good. Oh, thank this you. is so good. Yeah. Okay. And, and I, I think that for everyone joining today, know that we're all on a journey of healing yeah. and learning and doing better. Like so much of what you teach through your beautiful work, Nika is exactly this point that, that this is a journey. This is not a race. Right. It takes a minute, one foot after one foot, one step after one step, we are doing our best. Yeah. So we are going to share into the chat um, the link for you to learn more about um, Ritu's book and also for you to purchase a book if you haven't yet. You've sold like somewhat, I don't know, like 10, 20,000 co copies have you sold so far. I mean, it's like amazing to hear about that. Thank you. I'm so grateful. Yeah, you know, I, I'm so blessed to have been in the place where I've sold, it's an international bestseller. It's I, We've sold truckloads in Canada and the US. It's uh, My books won awards. And, you know, so in the book, I talk literally about achievement. And one of the things that I say is, and I call it the PPA, your 
my slash our, for those of you for whom this connects, positivity, perfection, achievement, armor. This, this, I used to put this armor on of like, if I'm perfect and if I'm positive if, and if I'm constantly achieving, then no one will judge me and no one will see how broken and wounded I feel and how, how constantly I'm struggling. And I've learned over the years through my healing work to let go of the need to be positive. In fact, sometimes I feel like I'm the pendulum swung the other way too far, Nika. Like I'm a cranky all the time. Yeah. Uh, all those days. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Grace, and, grace, and, grace. and let us not be to like toxic positivity is awful. So let's honor. Yes. But so is toxic neg neg negativity. We got to find a balance. Um, and I'm no longer clinging to perfection. Achievement has been for me one of the hardest shields to take off. And I'm still doing my healing work around that, where it's like even putting out a book and over anchoring to awards and numbers of sales and how many reviews and all of that. I realized it was like just really toxic for me and not helping. That all said, that all said, I also recognize as a woman of color and coming from Indian culture where we are socialized never to talk about ourselves, especially as women and wow. to, to big ourselves up. I would say I am, I hold the competing tensions of all of this. Yeah. And I am really grateful that the messages in my book are being recognized. Like it's, it feels beautiful to be a bestseller. It feels beautiful yes. to awards for what I have written. And you know what? I worked really, really effing you hard did. to get to you this did. point. And I poured my heart and soul, not only into this book, but everything I do. And so it's a beautiful moment. And then I also want to say, I just need to take a breath and chill out. I'm like, I am <laughs> here. I am relaxing everyone. I'm a, it's the Ritu Basine watching ne Netflix in 2024. That's what, that's what's happening. If you're like, where is she? Oh, she's on her couch watching Netflix, everyone. Yeah. No, I appreciate you leaning into that and sharing because that, that is real talk, you know, and for those of you who, who may not know this, um, we two and I are actually a part of a brain trust group. And so we, we share, we commonly share around some of our experiences and, and you've shared what you just shared with this community, with that smaller group. And I remember as you were socializing it, it, it was, it was so commonplace to so many of us who are also authors in that in that small group because yes it can feel very self-serving to talk about my best-selling book and I've sold this number of copies but you know I think it goes back to we first belong to ourselves and belonging to ourselves it also means leaning in to recognize where we do add value and you've added so much value with you with this book that I want you to I want you to also bask in this moment a little bit and to accept it and to realize that it it was it was a beautiful thing that you birthed for the benefit of, of so many of us and so so anyway, yeah. Thank you. And thank you. I, I'm I'm gonna take my flowers and take your and flowers. I'm gonna take my flowers, and then also I'm gonna say uh, it means a lot coming from someone like yourself who oh. has written books and and you, you. Oh, I know you know. So thank you. Oh. You're so kind. Okay, so we are going to shift and I want to give you a heads up that momentarily we'll be inviting our audience to present questions. If you're holding some curiosities and you want to ask your question. To Ritu, I want to give you a chance to do so. If you're part of our Zoom community, you can do so by using the raise hand feature. And that lets me know that you're willing to be called upon, added to the spotlight, and will be inv invited to unmute yourself to share directly. Or if you're just here, kind of an auditory capacity, but you do have some curiosity, certainly go to the chat, share those questions. If you're part of LinkedIn Live, go to the comment section. My team is watching that closely and we'll bring it over to the Zoom community. So while you're percolating on maybe perhaps what you want to, um, present 
commentary-wise or question-wise, I am going to go to my next question. And this is all about the authenticity principle, because again, you have more than one book. And while your latest is We've Got This, which is all about the beauty of belonging, you also have the authenticity <laughs> principle. And so I want you to tell us what is that exactly and what kind of sparked you, you know, to, to write that book? So the authenticity principle um, I wrote now, I think almost seven years ago, It I wrote it because I knew that there was a desperate need in workplace cultures to talk about how do we live, work, and lead in more of an authentic way? Because as you, as we all know, inclusion is about the extent to which people can bring their whole true selves to work. And there was so much talk back then about, and even now, about we want people to be more authentic in the workplace, and but then not no guidance on what does that actually mean. Right. And in fact, in one breath, an organization will say, we want everyone to bring their whole true selves to work. And in the very next breath, it's like, just kidding. Actually, like whatever you do, do not be authentic. Liar, liar, <laughs> uh, uh, don't do it. And so, yes. so it was like, like, what does this even mean? And then also the, the, how do you be authentic um, in the workplace when you have to meet behavioral expectations? And so that's what led me to write the, my book called The Authenticity Principle. The title of the book, The Authenticity Principle, it's actually a way of life a way of being that we embody after today, which is rooted in the idea in my definition of authenticity, which is that authenticity is about uh, the consistent practice of choosing to know who we are, to embrace who we are, and then to be who we are as much as possible so that we feel more connected to ourselves. We bring this spirit into our interactions with others. And in doing so, it's like a magnet we invite others to do the same thing back with us. It's contagious. This is what causes us to build more meaningful relationships. And this is ultimately, when we lead with this spirit, helps to unlock psychological safety, empowerment, engagement, inclusion, belonging, trust so much more yeah. in workplace cultures. And so that's what the authenticity principle and authenticity, uh, from my definition, are all about. And then the other thing that I do in the book that I think is really important is I introduce a framework for how do you actually live, work, and lead more authentically called the Three Selves Framework. And so that was my first book. That was your first book, baby. We're actually going to place that into the chat as well in the comment section for those of you who are interested in tapping into that book as well. So as you were talking about the authenticity principle, I heard self-awareness as one of those important principles to be able to do the work of authenticity well. I also heard mindfulness. And you used the word contagious. I just want to hone in on contagious because I think that what I don't want this audience to miss is that when we do show up authentic, right? even as hard or as brave as we may feel like we're going to have to be in that moment, it does open the window for others to give themselves permission to do the same. And, and I think that the more we can model that for others, the better that we're going to find ourselves engaging with each other. And so I love that you use the word that it's contagious too, because it is, it is. Yes. Yeah. So how beautiful. And, and, and literally uh, when, and, Every, everyone, you're going to think I'm obsessed with the human body and neuroscience. And the answer is yes, yes, I am. <laughs> yes, she so, is. Yeah, yes, yes, I am. So as humans, as animals, we are literally firing neurons at other people. Yeah. Literally firing neurons. Like You know how like we'll be in a good mood, in a good place. Like We'll feel quite regulated. 
And then we walk into a boardroom and oh, you can yeah. feel the tension and the negativity, or you'll, you'll join a family dinner table and you're, you're late and you come in and you're like, what is going on here? Absolutely. And there's chi everywhere. So, or positive chi. It's like we, we absorb the energy, the neurons, the mirror neurons that are being fired at us by others. And so when someone in our midst is being really vulnerable and they are, like they've taken off the PPA um, shield armor and they are just being themselves and they are open and they are revealing their vulnerability, we will feel safer to do it back. Mm -hmm. And so when I say it's contagious, I mean, literally, actually, it's contagious. Mm -hmm. Because what happens when someone, what literally happens when we're, when we're in the midst of a, a colleague, team member, family member who's doing this is that our nervous systems feel like I'm safe. Yeah. You understand what it's like to hurt. Yeah. Get it. And so because of this, I can do this in front of you too. Yes. And so that's when I say authenticity is contagious. I, I, mean, I literally quite literally. Yeah. 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 I, I, I completely believe that and feeling safe in that moment because of someone's vulnerability, um, it's relatable. And so that, that automatically creates kind of a connection point there that I think is really important as well. You know, we talk so much about managing our time, managing our finances, managing different things, but we don't talk enough about managing our energy. And so as you were going through that story, it just reminded me of, you know, how we can best also show up as our authentic selves is being mindful of what kind of energy, you know, are we walking into when we're entering different environments and different spaces. And, um, and I just think there's something to be said for us being more mindful about that because we do you know take on oftentimes the energy of the room and the space and other people so you know, watch who's in your presence and in your and who's in your company right um uh, nika i love that and I'm, everyone i'm going to share something that i do that's and, nice. and when i say that i do this uh i'm not a perfect human being by no stretch i try to do this as much as possible and when i have the intentionality and i'm mindful and i do this i find it makes a profound difference so there's an ex uh, there's a quote from an incredible neuroscientist. Her name is Jill Bronte Taylor. I first saw her on Oprah like many, many years ago. She wrote a book called My Stroke of Insight. And sh she talked about how we must be responsible for the energy we bring into a room. Yeah. Be responsible for the energy we bring into a room. And so a few things. When I am in a bad mood and I'm cranky uh, or I'm really uh, riled up. Like the energy charge is high in me because I'm going meeting to meeting and I'm speaking and I'm, I feel the energy charge and the energy is pulsing from me and I'm about to go into a meeting or I'm about to do something that I know it's important that I do a better job of self-regulating before I go into the meeting or I go sit at the table or whether it's a boardroom table or a dinner table, I literally will say to myself, what is the energy I want to bring into this space? Where am I right now? And what do I need to do to better regulate? And that everyone, this is back to core wisdom. And so for it example, is. I literally will bounce meeting to meeting, to meeting, to meeting. And then at six o'clock, I'm like, I got 15 minutes to run to a dinner and I get to the dinner and I'm like, like my, I'm amped. 
And I will sit there for the first 10 minutes and do my deep breathing to yeah. regulate, bring my, allow myself to drop and sink in. So before you, you, you go, before you go into any interaction going forward, to the extent you can do the best you can, it's not gonna happen every time I'm living proof is to say to yourself, what's the energy I want to bring into this yeah. experience. And then the other thing I'll mention related to this is sometimes we're in great energy. We're in flow. We feel really good. And we find ourselves in these situations where it's like, oof, the energy around me is not good. Or you, a human being that I'm interacting with, are not in a good place. When that happens, I immediately go into my core wisdom again. And it's like I put a bubble around me. And I do my deep breathing. And I'm really mindful and I'm like, I am going to be really mindful and deliberate about not taking on your energy. Oh. And I'm going to, and if I feel up for it and I want to do it, I may put the effort into helping the person disarm and, and regulate. Like I'll make sure I'm breathing really deep. They're hearing me breathe so that it signals to their body. You should breathe too. If I'm into it, sometimes I, I don't think it's my responsibility to help someone regulate. And so all I do is to, I just sit there and I regulate. And this, what I've just shared is actually really important right now in this highly politicized environment so where whether it's in the workplace mm-hmm. or at Sunday dinner and people are spewing all kinds of things that we can be self-regulating and thinking about what's the energy I'm bringing in, but to what extent do I want to protect my energy as well? Yeah, that is, that is so good. I am, I'm working right now on building curriculum for an organization who is really navigating um, because of how, you know, politicized and polarizing this body of work is right now, but they're having um, a time with navigating around what they have referred to as hate speech in the workplace, right? And so, and so I think that what you're sharing adds great value in terms of very practical things that people can do if they find themselves, you know, in the midst of that negative energy. And what I also think is important to amplify is that oftentimes when we sense that negative energy, we automatically will think, well, it's something about me, right? But I love the fact that you know the bubble. What the bubble does is it almost like protects you in a way to where you're like, that's them. And it's not me. That negative energy is not because of me, right? Because sometimes we will say, maybe it's me. Maybe I've done something wrong. Are they mad at me? And then, you know, of course, all the litany of questions come. Then we're doubting ourselves. And then now we're in a bad mood. So we have bad energy and we're just like continuing this negative cycle, right? Um, So priority and attention setting as we're walking into spaces, really being clear about how do I want to show up in this moment, right? It's so important. And those are just some of the the basic principles of like practicing mindfulness, you know? And so I love what you're bringing to the conversation. I wish I can give credit to the person who posted this, but I can't recall who it was. And I'm going to paraphrase it, but it was something along the lines of, um, you're not here to match energy. You are here to set the atmosphere. And I think that's really important for us to kind of fixate our minds on as well when we're walking into spaces. Because we can't really control what the energy looks like, feels like, right? But we can control how we show up to it and how we contribute to an energy to potentially shift it. And I think that's so important. Um, so yes, yeah, Mauricio says in the chat, set the energy, set the energy, folks, set the energy. 
Okay, so we're getting close to our time. I'm just checking to make sure there aren't any like hands raised. I'm not seeing any right now. Um, but you know, again, with the little bit of time that we have left, if a question comes up, then certainly make sure that you are placing it into the chat or using the raise hand feature. I'm gonna go to my next question because you've already talked about how you really are obsessed with the body. So this kind of relates to that a little bit. But we know that the effects of repeated micro inequities, and honestly, I, I hesitate to use the word micro because there's nothing micro about aggressions and nothing micro about inequities and oppression or any of that. But we know that they can have a really profound impact on, on us. So what happens to one's body and mind when this repeatedly happens to us? And what can we do to address those experiences? You touched on this a little bit, but I wonder if there's some additional practical um, strategies that you can share with us. Yeah. So I've mentioned before uh, that, that as human beings, we're entirely governed by our bodies, our nervous systems. Our nervous system constantly is clocking for harmful stimuli in the environment this is where bias comes in because it's the, if you don't look or sound like me, stranger danger, you, you might eat me. And so I should be careful that bias is, that's what bias essentially is about. Yeah. But also it's the, we're, we're not for most of us worried about bears attacking us in the forest. Like that's not our jam. That's not our life right now. Yeah. What we're actually clocking for is am I being respected? Am I being seen? Am I being honored? And so our nervous systems are paying attention to, did you make eye contact with me yeah. when I came into the room? What was the tone of your voice when you greeted me? Did you say my name right? Did you interrupt me as I was speaking? Um, did you, did your face go blank as I was sharing? Like we're clocking for all, all of these types of experiences. Yeah. And what happens is that when we experience disrespectful, uh, exclusionary behavior, inequities in the workplace, is that these subtle nuanced behaviors that don't seem so harmful on the surface, the culmination of them, if enough of this happens, it can cause activation of the nervous system. Yeah. And when the nervous system gets activated, we're pushed into fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. Mm -hmm. Energy is generated in the body. It causes us to be, it can cause us to become dysregulated. And if this happens enough, it actually can cause us to hold trauma in our bodies. And so without even realizing that this is happening for so many of us, because these more subtle nuanced forms of inequities are constantly coming our way. And they have been coming our way since we were little babies and as children, as teenagers, as adults, they're happening daily where our nervous systems are just constantly in this dysregulated, activated state. Mm -hmm. And that is mm -hmm. why we must continue in workplace cultures to interrupt biases. Doing bias disruption work is critical because it is the fundamental enemy of inclusion. It is. And for those of us on the receiving end of bias, i.e. everyone, every single human being out there experiences bias. All of us. All of us. It's important that we do our core wisdom healing work so that we're less likely to become rattled when someone doesn't speak to us respectfully or when they say something that uh, they interrupt us while speaking. We're ready and we're like, actually, I'd like to finish my thought and we continue on. Or we were able to say things like, 
sorry, could you say that again? And the person repeats. And then we say, you know, that didn't sit very well with me or that didn't land or Mm. I would love to have this conversation with you, but I feel like your tone, the tone of your voice is really uncomfortable for me. And I'm starting to get upset and I, I'm, I'm thinking we should pause or whatever mm-hmm. it is that we want to say and, or need to say to feel empowered. And so we often call it the burden of the oppressed. So it's like that I'm the one experiencing the inequity. And now I have to go do my healing work to learn right. how to my power to, to protect and defend. And I would say, I feel it. I hear you. I don't like it either. And yet I still want us to be in a place to do this work so that we can live a better life so that we do feel more empowered. And ultimately, ultimately, and this goes full circus, we belong to ourselves. And we only can control what we can control. So yeah, I've often heard, you know, very similar kind of comments around that, that type of teaching and coaching, but yeah, you're right. We only can control ourselves. And so um, I love when we can have tools to help us as we're navigating these circumstances while simultaneous, there are people in the world like yourself that's also teaching and coaching others to be able to be much more mindful about how in which they are making others feel that may be in their presence. And so this has been so rich. We're getting close to the end of our time, um, but I wanna certainly give you the opportunity to close this out in a way that feels really good for you. And so I like to do this by asking the simple question of, um, we've only scratched the surface, So I know there's a lot that we did not get to touch on, but is there something that's bringing you lots of energy from like an insight that you want to make sure you leave this audience with? I want to give you that time and space to do it now. You know, the the thing that comes to mind for me in this very moment, like as we are sitting here speaking, as we kick off 2024, is my commitment for myself in 2024 is to live a life that is more still and rooted Mm -hmm. in ease and peace. And the reason I have decided to do this, like expand my stillness and ease and peace within is because I feel like there is just utter chaos in the world around us. And I am doing my best to be a drop in the ocean that matters and helping to shift the ocean. I am doing my best and I will keep doing my best, but it's part of me doing my best. It's about me managing me and chaos may be around, around me, but it doesn't need to be inside me. And so as part of my, doesn't need to be inside me, I'm going still, which means I'm slowing down. I'm working less. I'm seeing less people. It's Rithu on her couch watching Netflix or even staring at her ceiling. Like I'm I'm trying to literally speak less. Like when I say speak less, like in conversations with others, I'm literally not speaking as much as I normally would. And I'm, I'm listening more. I'm being way more mindful. It I think the stillness within me is going to help me profoundly navigate this world that feels really unstill. And so that's what's been on my mind for the last few weeks. And I share it with you all uh, in hopes that it resonates. And and I'd love to hear from you all uh, as well. Feel free to drop me a a line through LinkedIn, through Instagram, on my websites, anywhere. Uh, Be still. Let's, Let's all be still. 
What a beautiful note to end on. We have shared all of your contact information into the chat. I do hope that you all will take advantage of reaching out and connecting. Um, once again, we are so grateful that you spent this hour with us. And um, we wish for you that peaceness, that ease, that stillness that you've talked about. And we're just grateful that um, you were here with us today. So thank you all so very much. Take care. Thank you.